Hi there. I'm Francoise Von Trapp, and this is the 3D Insights Podcast. Hey, everyone. Now, one of the most listened to episodes in season one of the 3D Insights Podcast was about the importance of package design for chiplet integration. And for those of you who are new to this podcast and or chiplet technology, in a nutshell, chiplets are hardened blocks of IP of different semiconductor technology nodes that result from disaggregating or literally taking apart a system on a chip. And then these blocks are then reintegrated as a single package using high-speed interfaces to deliver greater performance at a reduced cost with higher yield and lower power. Chiplets are really big news right now for companies like Intel, AMD, and TSMC. Um, But one of the challenges for broadening the market is the lack of standardized models. So to address this, the Chiplet Design Exchange was created. Rather than try to explain all this to you, I've asked Tony Mastriani of Siemens EDA and Jawad Najrullah of Palo Alto Electron to join me to demystify all of this, especially for those of us who are not fluent in chip and package design. So thanks for joining me today, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And now before we dive in, can you each just tell a little bit about your backgrounds? Um, Jawad, why don't you start? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much uh, for asking me to join you here. My name is Jawad Nasrullah. I am a chip designer. I have worked in the industry for some 25 years. And 3D IC is one of my specialties that is close to my heart for a variety of reasons. So that's uh, what I've done. I had previously co-founded uh, Zglue, which uh, kind of like, you know, did notable work in the field of chiplets. And I'm working on my next thing at the moment. Oh, and Zglue was actually one of our 3D Insights award winners, I think, in 2020. Um, That's right. Start- startup of the year. Okay, and, and you have since sold Zglue? We sold Zglue technology, so so that's where it was. Um, and I'm working on my next thing. Okay, excellent. And how about you, Tony? Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me for this. Um, I've worked for eSilicon for about 18 years. Uh, eSilicon was a fabulous semiconductor company. And most of my time there, I was uh, involved in design management, managing large, complex designs. In about 2015, we started doing, we did our first uh, 2.5D design using an HBM memory. And uh, that was challenging at the time. That was that was early. And then uh, we ended up doing about three or four designs, you know, uh, with HBMs. And we actually did one where we split the chip in half and uh, and implemented that as two chiplets. So it became apparent that, uh, you know, our packaging methodology needed some pretty heavy uh enhancements to be able to to support those kind of designs. It required a lot more collaboration. So my last uh, three or four years at eSilicon, I moved into a different role where I was trying to uh, redefine our package design process. So we were building um, our own package design flow, which really integrates IC design, packaging, and a little bit of system design. So it was a very different approach. And we, we started working with some EDA vendors 
but uh, there really wasn't much out there that that supported. So we were uh, rolling our own, and then we were uh, acquired. E-Silicon was acquired, uh, and uh, I ended up at Siemens. I started there in 2020, and they asked me to do essentially what I was doing at E-Silicon in uh, putting in defining an, an advanced packaging strategy to support these 2.5D uh, as well as 3D designs. So that's my current role, really architecting our next generation tools to support these uh, these designs. Yeah, I remember well when um, eSilicon was working on that and the, when the conversation started about disaggregating SOCs. Um, how long do you think it was between that discussion? Because it used to be, Two and a half D was going to be the solution for that, but clearly, as you as you mentioned, you were running into trouble there um, at eSilicon. So, at what point was the concept for actual and, and maybe definition of chiplets? Um, when did that come out? Yeah, that's a good question. I, we we never call them chiplets, uh, right. but uh, um, I'm not sure. Do I, maybe you would know better than I when that term came out. It's a great term. But. I can tell you a little story. So my professor, Yoshio Nishi, who was a notable figure, he taught me the term, it was 1998. Um, so he was, uh, he, he had worked at for Jack Kilby and all those guys. So the concept was there. Because okay. I, wa- I was working on 3D ICs and 3D problems at that time. Right. So the, 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 this kind of, uh, you know, building smaller components and putting them on chip carriers was kind of like a competing technology with Robert Noyce in terms right. of single chip integration. Right. right. It's, it's just the right time at the moment that it resurfaced. But isn't it a little bit different because you're actually taking, um, I mean, we've talked about, you know, two and a half D integration was bringing disparate technologies. It might be a sensor, it might be an analog device, it might be a digital device, and integrating them onto um, a substrate, uh, onto an interposer, right? Um, but chiplets are different, aren't they? I thought the chiplets were more of the actual, um, you know, taking apart of the. I guess it's a system on chip, but how how is that different? I guess is my question. So. So I think um, in last five years, the term has evolved. So um, five, six years ago, it was just heterogeneous stuff, right? right? Heterogeneous things that are coming from different manufacturing technologies get onto the same carrier, right? That was the beginning. And then you start realizing, oh, okay, it actually has significant cost advantage, right? And that's where the die disaggregation comes into picture. Then you start thinking about, oh, I can reuse some of it in the next generation to make multiple SKUs. But the concept of building these sub-blocks and constructing a bigger chip with that, I guess early pioneers of uh, semiconductor thought about these things, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I could tell you a story of E-Silicon. I mean, I I think what really started 2.5D was HBM memories. Okay, right. So that, you know, that that technology was there and, and it gave you some tremendous uh, advantages of, um, you know, uh, memory bandwidth and, and capacity. Um, and, you know, that was our first couple of designs with HBMs. And then we were bidding on another design with a very large networking company. And we were a small company, so we really 
you know, didn't get the best pricing out of, uh, out of some of the fabs. So uh, we got very creative and we said, well, we're putting two packaging, two parts in a package together on a silicon interposer. What if we split the die in half? Because this design that we were bidding on was a very symmetric architecture. Mm-hmm. So we said, what if we cut it in half and we'll figure out the cost and the yield analysis? And we ended up getting the cost much lower where we actually beat you know, the incumbent. Uh, on price. So that was really uh, dye disaggregation, you know, splitting a dye in two to take advantage of the higher yield and the lower cost. And we developed our own chip-to-chip interface. And uh, so that that was kind of something that, you know, somebody, uh, one of the creative marketing and sales guys came up with that idea and and it stuck and we won the business and, uh, and that chip is in production today. So I guess my understanding is one of the difference is, is that when you talk about hardened blocks of IP that, that I think, Jawad, you just mentioned it, you, you're able to re, reuse these blocks and that's where the cost benefit comes in. You don't have to redesign and reinvent the wheel each time you come up. You can take um, blocks of IP that already work and integrate them together to create a new device. That's right. There's saving in non-recurrent engineering costs for design. Mm-hmm. As well as there is significant saving in producing smaller pieces of silicon and piecing them together. It just uh, that's how the statistics of yield works. Yeah, okay. yeah. I like to refer to it as die disaggregation, cutting your chip into smaller chips, mm-hmm. so you get um, better yield, which lowers the cost. And then IP disaggregation, so you take the IP out, and you can implement that in a specialized process. Now, the IP is very expensive. Um, uh, for uh, IP that's used in chips, right? It's millions of dollars for an expensive certies. Um, and now if you could buy a chiplet, you're not making that, you know, high uh, upfront NRE investment in buying the IP. You could just buy the chip. So there's a cost savings. And the other advantage is you can, you know, that technology can be optimized uh, for for that IP, and you're not forced to use a very expensive process if you don't need it. So you can mix and match your technologies uh, for the different parts of your system. Okay. I think that helps clarify it more than. Okay. So, um, Tony, you recently presented a paper. It was at the um, IEEE 3DIC Symposium, I think. Was that in North Carolina? Yes, it was. North Carolina State, yes. Right. Okay. And so the topic was proposed standardization of chiplet models for heterogeneous integration. And in it, you talk about the need for standardized chiplet machine readable models and workflows for the chiplet ecosystem. So can you explain what that means? Sure. Um, I mean, it's very analogous to uh, chip IP. You know, these are the the specialized building blocks that go into a chip, and that's that you purchase that IP. And uh, when you purchase that, you need a bunch of different design views or models mm-hmm. in order to integrate and verify that piece of, you know, that block into a chip. Uh, chiplet is, you know, you need a similar type of thing, but you're not integrating the chiplet in, a, in, in the chip, you're integrating in a package. So it's uh, it's kind of a, a different set of models and uh, there's quite a bit of overlap, but you know, th- you need package models in addition to chip type models. So uh, that was the objective is to come up with uh, a recommended list of all the views because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a, a new, new model. And uh, there, other than HBMs, there really is nobody out there selling a, a you know, off the shelf chiplet. 
Um, and, and we think, you know, that that's the direction uh, things are going. And so in order to kind of uh, help uh, that ecosystem become available, we felt there was a need to standardize on, on the models that those chiplet uh, vendors um, would, would need to deliver with their, with their chiplets in order to, to, you know, help the, the system integrators to design and verify their systems. So when you're talking about the system integrators, are you talking about the OSATs or? No, these are the guys actually doing the design. Right? Okay. So, yeah, so this would be, and it really is, you know, you've got, you know, now that you're breaking your system up, you, you, you get a little bit of the system and, and the RTL designers involved because they have to, you know, decide which, you know, am I going to implement this as a piece of IP in my chip or am I going to use a chiplet? Right. So they need to make some of those kind of micro architectural decisions. Um, the package designers, you know, they get involved because they have to drive the package technology. They're the ones who are stitching this all together. So they have to kind of figure out how, how all the pieces are going to fit together and, you know, recommend which packaging technologies. And then you have the chip designers, right? Because they're not um, designing this chip in a vacuum. It's, it's hooked up to other chiplets. And today, actually, those chiplets, since they're not available off the shelf, you're actually designing multiple chips that all plug and play together. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. So right now we have what three main is it AMD, Intel, TSMC, and I'm not sure if I think Samsung um, have introduced chiplet designs, chiplet architectures. Yeah, but, there's there's many large companies that are doing it. Some okay. of them are are you know. So, but, but right now it's really just very advanced users. So they need, you know, the system design expertise. They need deep pockets, very large time. You know, if you have seven or eight chiplets that are being designed, you know, you need seven or eight ASIC design teams working on all this stuff in a package team. So, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a small set of very advanced users um, and, you know, with deep pockets that are, that are deploying this technology today. And of course, you're not going to be able to take IP from like, you know, TSMC and an Intel or an AMD and, and integrate them together or. You can, you can, you can, sure. Yeah. But you know, the, if you're going to buy IP and, you know, if you're going to buy a Certes IP for one chaplet, you're probably not going to you're probably going to use that in multiple chiplets. So you're probably going to use the same technology if you're designing everything yourself, right? Because you have all those contracts and stuff. But if there's off-the-shelf chiplets available, you're just going to pick the one that best meets your needs, has the lowest price, and, you know, meet your, your needs. So, And is that what standardizing these models is going to do? That's that's the goal, to, the goal. to help facilitate that, that chiplet ecosystem. So think of it as just buying standard parts, um, that you would put on a board. We're trying to move that model down into the package. Okay. 
So, so one very important thing that Chiplet did, which was kind of like foundation of Chiplet Design Exchange in a way, is that we can take a very complicated design, mm -hmm. break it into smaller chunks, and get all of that intelligence and competence of design and, you know, build mm -hmm. new systems with it, reuse that, so mix and match as possible. So our original vision uh, at Zglue was that we would one day just take a chiplet from one company, one ecosystem, another one, and put that whole thing together. And we did build some of those devices by using chip scale packages as a analog of chiplets. And that worked out. And uh, the thing that we realized that the, the ecosystem is just very close-minded. Mm -hmm. almost to the point that it is hurting the progress, mm -hmm. right? right. So, so we came up with this idea, we need to inject some open source spirit into all of it. And that's where the, some of the early uh, uh, volunteers who started Open Domain Specific Alliance, ODSA, mm -hmm. which Chiplet Design Exchange is part of, that, that was the vision. The vision was create a ecosystem so you can use each other's chiplets, trade them. But then the problem was, okay, how do we define these and how do we work with each other? And that was the foundation of Chiplet Design Exchange. Okay. So companies can collaborate. So who is involved in the Chiplet Design Exchange? Nice segue, by the way. That was good. <laughs> yeah. So the Chiplet Design Exchange... <clears throat> is basically a work stream under ODSA project of Open Compute Platform, OCP. Mm -hmm. And uh, the involved, it's open invitation. Anyone can walk in and join and listen. So we have participation from big name companies now, like all the EDA companies, all the notable EDA companies participate as well as we have designers and architects and users who participate and they have the same question or they want to solve the same problem which is like how do we exchange data mm -hmm. so such that we can build systems so you will find eba companies as well as uh, you know big name ones tony is very involved in that one right now i was one of the first ones to start that and that was three years ago. I'm involved still. Yeah. And is there is one OSAT that has joined us as well. Okay. I was going to ask that. So ASE is the... Yeah. Okay. ASE participates pretty actively, yeah. Because at this point, the OSATs haven't been too involved in chiplet integration. Have they? Or... They're starting to you know, get interested. So they are actively uh, looking into it. They, they're a little bit behind, but. Yeah, it, um, it seems the only companies that have actually been involved are those who can build, who build the whole system, you know, from, from chip through like, like TSMC Intel IDMs or um, AMD is a fabulous company. So they had to outsource that, right? Uh, well, with a AMD actually, no, they had internal packaging capability. They actually spun that out as a company called Chiplets. And they're they're just focusing on the package uh, technology and assembly, so they 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 did that to to help kind of you know standardize and facilitate this for for general purpose rather than just keeping it internally. 
would having these standardized models and everything and off the shelf blocks make it um, more feasible for the OSATs to get involved? Uh, I think it makes it more feasible for, for, you know, anybody to really get involved. Um, I, I think with the OSATs, uh, it's probably more on the technology side. So one of the things that um, there's kind of a new thing that we're looking at this year in CDX is, you know, if you have all these common, these chiplets that, you know, plug and play, they, they also need to follow the same assembly rules, right? So if they're all using different packaging technologies and they're not compatible, that's not going to work. So one of the things that we're trying to, uh, to look at at CDX this year is coming up with a common set of assembly rules. So we've got a foundry and an OSAT that right now we're, we're, we're starting uh, early discussions on that. And there's some other activities out there to try to come up with a set of compatible common rules. So, uh, and, and those rules then would be, you know, provided to the chiplet vendors. They said, if, you know, you follow these rules, then it'll be, you know, you can plug and play. So that's, that's kind of, uh, the, the, the follow on. So the first thing is we want to standardize on the models, right. Mm -hmm. But then we want to make sure that, you know, they're physically compatible so they can be assembled together in the same, you know, whether, whether it be a silicon interposer or a, a organic type, um, fan out interposer. Okay. And um, we're seeing more and more of the organic type of substrates really? uh, being used for integration. Yeah. That's, that's starting to catch on. So they're, they're coming up with finer pitches and, um, um, you know, a little, not quite as, you know, advanced as the silicon, but there's, there's other, there's advantages uh, to the organic as well. So they're, they're getting into the game. You know, TSMC talks about its interconnect fabric or the three, I think it's their 3D fabric. Is mm -hmm. that, that is a silicon interposer technology though, correct? It is silicon and it uses uh, a bit of a different um, assembly technology called copper to copper hybrid bonding mm -hmm. as opposed to eutectic based uh, interconnection. Interconnect, uh, the idea is 3D, vertical 3D. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not monolithic 3D. It's kind of like tag 3D. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Well, that's that's an area we're always interested at 3D Insight. So that's yeah. um, maybe why I know a little bit about it. But um, anyhow, so um, I think there's probably more conversations to have here. But right now, is there a cost to be involved? Or you said it's open source. Anybody can join? So it's CDX. Anybody can come and participate. Uh, what happens is, so, so in CDX, we are keeping it pretty open source. Um, there are some other work streams of ODSA where you need to get the membership from OCPM, potentially even JEDEC, right? That all depends how much involved do you want to be in, in uh, contributions. Okay. All right. And how do companies get involved? I literally just asked one of the uh, organizers and uh, they get an invitation. And uh, Tony is one of the organizers. I am. David Rajkoff is another one. Mm -hmm. uh, Bapi Venakota is the main organizer of ODSA at the moment. So that would either one will be a good contact point to just send an email to. Yeah. Okay. And we just, you know, forward them the invite and they, 
they just can participate if they like. They can just sit and listen. And and I would imagine there's a website that they can go to for more information. There is a ODSA wiki, which basically keeps track of all the work streams. You can even listen to all meetings. They are all archived. Mm -hmm. Most of the presentations are archived. I think if you just search ODSA CDX on Google, you'll get there. Okay, so would it be okay if I put um, in our show notes um, links to your email addresses if people want to learn more? Oh, definitely. Or just connect with you on LinkedIn? Yep. Awesome. Well, great. Thank you so much for joining me today and explaining this. It's uh, You have demystified it a little bit for me, and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing the progress, seeing where it goes. Very good. Well, thank you for putting this together. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to see all the wonderful things that 3D Insight does. All oh, thanks. All right, well, I will talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much, Francois.